Hey guys, how are we doing? It's Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. And also, yes, I'm back this week. Last week I was a bit under the weather. Um, was actually rendered pretty useless um, this time last week. So glad to be <laughs> the opposite of that today. And i um, going to do a little catch up for you first with the Spanish Grand Prix now two weeks ago. Um, but I did have all the notes ready to go, so important for me to um, look back on that race before we look ahead to Monaco this weekend. Um, good to see Monaco back, even though I guess I will go over reasons why I don't like Monaco either, but, you know, it's one of those classic races which um, does attract its own attention and crowd, so yeah, that a bit later, and practice starts tonight, I forgot that Monaco weekend usually you have practice on a Thursday instead of a Friday because Friday is considered like a day of rest in the principality and some supercar stuff too because we had the Bend Super Sprint um, as well on the same weekend as Barca so yeah going back to Barca now um, it was actually quite an eventful race an eventful weekend which usually with Barcelona you don't get that so that's why I was like, yeah, it's probably important that I do to go over some of the points from there. Um, it was a, another victory for Lewis Hamilton, a 98th career win from his 100th pole position, and a blow, another blow for Max Verstappen and Red Bull in their little championship hunt for the year. So, uh, Max executed the better start, he was aggressive into turn one and had a strong first stint, so we said, yeah, you know, this is going to be this is going to be where they go um, to all with Lewis, but unfortunately, no, that was not the case. Um, Red Bull fumbled in the first pit stop with the rear left, um, and that was actually triggered by Max wanting to come in quite early for, for the stop, so Red Bull were not prepared for that. Um, typical Dutchy smoking too much hash, probably, and... Um, you know, decides to come in for the pit stop when his team doesn't know anything about it. So they lost crucial time in that. Uh, Lewis, on the other hand, was able to wait till lap 29 to come in for the medium tyres. And as we've seen all year so far that, you know, Mercedes on the harder compound tyres, whether it's a medium or the hards, are quite quick compared to the Red Bull. So they were significantly faster than Max in that second stint. And even though he was able to close the gap on Max in that second stint, lap 43, Mercedes decided to pull in Lewis to go onto a two-stop strategy, uh, pretty much repeating what happened in Hungary 2019. So Red Bull end up having to one-stop while Mercedes go on a two-stop and at the end of the day, yeah, Max would not have been able to do 42 laps on the medium tyres to be able to win that race if the Mercedes had done two stops. So by lap 60, we saw Hamilton pretty much make an easy move for the lead, and that was that was the, the win secured for him. Um, and after that, Max was pretty much brought in for a new set of tyres to go try get the fastest lap and score an extra point. So at least this time, there was no track limit violations that took away that fastest lap like they did in Portugal but yeah you know the big talking points coming out of this was whether it was Red Bull's fault for not being ready for the pit stop was it Max's fault for coming in too early uh just not giving his team enough notice I mean what was going on there 
Were they struggling on their tyres, given that Mercedes were able to go longer into that first stint than they did? They, I think, all started on the soft tyres or whatever, so it's it's a tricky one. And also, it goes back to what I ramble about every year when we have a championship battle against Mercedes. Um, did it a lot when Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari were trying to... Um, vie for the title in 18 and 19, or 17 and 18, I should say, and that's execution, and not only just having the fastest car on track, but it's also, you know, strategy, the pit wall, pit crew, and everything like that, those one percenters that, if you can't get them all correct, then that's what's going to hurt your challenge, and on this occasion, you got to say miscommunication, or, you know, just not being ready uh, has hurt them in this instance. I mean, if Max was able to shadow the same strategy that Lewis had and just maybe undercut him by a lap, then that would have been um, a different scenario. He would have probably stayed ahead. It's hard to say now, but in this instance, you know, Mercedes just seem to outsmart their rivals all the time. You know, it's not to do with them having the fastest car at all. And all the critics again will come out and say, oh, we're in for another year of Mercedes domination and a Mercedes boring fest or whatever. But you've got to realise that it's actually Mercedes are having to do the hard yards. They're, they're doing the hard work to be able to get these results. And again, for Lewis, the criticism is the same, that they say, oh, he just wins every race. But the thing is, we're seeing him work a lot harder for these wins now than ever, um, probably, what, 2015 was was a walkover year, you could say, and then 17, 18, he had to fight Seb early on in the year, and there was the second half, he was able to run away with it, but yeah, he's doing a lot of work, you can see, um, strategically as well, so it comes down to his, his own ability to communicate with the team and get the strategy right, so... Again, you know, when I see those critics and that criticism come up, I kind of just have a little giggle to myself because I'm like, you're clearly not watching the racing close enough to be able to see that. And you don't even have to watch it closely to see. As long as you have an understanding of what's going on, you're going to see, oh, they're, they're actually having to work a lot harder when you put it into context of since 2014 when Mercedes have come into this domination, come into this era, it's not until, you know, recent years when, you know, let's say after Nico Rosberg left that Lewis is, you know, having to, and the team as well are having to think on their toes because they've had competition from the likes of Ferrari and from Red Bull this year and this is why they're still the best team is because they can execute those 1% um, those 1% areas that, you know, the others don't seem to do, so, and it must be difficult, you know, for Red Bull, because they're a team that have won championships in the past, or most recently, you could say, even though um, it's almost a decade ago that they did win their last one, so, yeah, uh, in the end, credit to Lewis, credit to those guys at Mercedes for being able to execute the win, um, Max gets that extra point for fastest lap, and for Red Bull, bit of trouble again um, after the race with this controversy coming about about their rear wing being too flexible or, you know, just 
outside the regulations and we know that Red Bull over the years have always pushed the limits when it comes to the flexibility of their wings whether it's the front wings or rear wings I remember I think it was 2014 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix both their cars were disqualified and had to start from the back of the grid because they were found of having flexi uh, flexible front wings or they were flexing beyond what the regulations stipulated so you know it's no surprise that they're trying to push the boundaries again on that one and then also um, Checo as well, a lot of talk about him, criticism again coming about him, the fact that he's not up there for Red Bull to be able to help the strategy and whatnot, but did they really need Checo up there for Barcelona? I don't know. Um, I reckon they could have won the race if they didn't have Checo up there. Like He had a poor qualifying, that's probably the harshest thing we could say about him. He had another poor qualifying. And when you look at Perez's career, you could say that he's never been better qualifier than he has been a racer. So I'm not going to say the writing's on the wall for him already. It's the same as the Daniel Ricciardo situation where a couple of races, or more than a couple of races, let's say four or five races needed to be afforded to him to finally get to grips with his machinery, acclimatise with the team in, in a race situation and on a race weekend, and we'll start seeing the um, fruits of that, as we did with Ricardo there in Barcelona, because he had his best race for McLaren, he qualified in the top 10, he finished in the top 10 um, and beat his teammate for the first time this year too, so we'll see that from Jacko, and I guess, um, you know, the real acid test I think will be Monaco, because if Red Bull want to have a good weekend in Monaco, then they're going to have to have both cars inside the top five, ideally, and then, you know, to be able to have at least one car or if not two cars on the podium come Sunday, which, you know, Checo has been on the podium before. So, yeah, poor qualifying for him. I think he was eighth, then he raced back to fifth um, behind Charles Leclerc, who had an excellent race, you've got to say, finishing fourth. He didn't finish the race in Barcelona last year, but this year he's just going from strength to strength. And I think probably one of the more underrated performers this year, considering he's having these lonely races, but he is picking up the points. Um, he made the move at the start of the race to get ahead of Valtteri Bottas, which, you know, Bottas, again, having a rather difficult weekend, you know, in the second Mercedes car. You wouldn't expect to be leapfrogged by Ferrari at the start and end up having to fight his way back into into third. And then by the time he did get back up into third, um, he was already quite far behind the leaders and ended up having to move aside for Hamilton as well at some point during the race, which I don't think he was very compliant in doing so after the team had instructed he do. And then Lewis had to pull a actual overtake at racing speed to, to try and get past his teammates so you know if that's not an indication of as to what's going to happen with Bottas for next year or whether the writing's on the wall for him I think you know you have to read it um, you have to read it a lot closer because yeah it just doesn't look like um, Bottas is all there this year he, he'll still end up winning a race I'm sure if if he doesn't then it's going to be a lot worse for him but yeah, you know, you can see where clearly he's at and, you know, having a Ferrari, which is still quite quite slower in comparison to the Mercedes, get ahead of him during the race or at the start and then not being able to pass him quick enough to stay connected with the top two, 
shows you where where he is at and also where Leclerc's at as far as him having a pretty good year so far. So, yeah, that's what's keeping this McLaren versus Ferrari battle for third in the constructors quite interesting at the moment. Carlos Sainz, the only Spaniard to score as well, so he had an excellent day. He's also keeps up his record of scoring in every Spanish Grand Prix that he's been in since his debut season back in 15 with Toro Rosso. That was actually, you know, good for him, but also the fact that he was the only Spaniard to score was kind of sad because Fernando Alonso, he was in the top 10, but also just could not get the one-stop strategy in the race to work and lost 10th position to Pierre Gasly. So not a good day for the um, for the Fonz, but, um, you know, some encouraging signs to take forward to the next race, which I'll talk about a bit later. But also for, for Alonso, again, being beaten by his teammate Esteban Ocon. So Ocon holding on in ninth and a bit sad considering that both Alpines had qualified in the top 10 and, it's the junior driver Ocon who, you know, many predicted would be walked over by Alonso this year, um, has ended up, you know, finishing ahead again. But again, using the Ricardo example, using the, the Checo example, Alonso just might need a couple more races to be get himself embedded and um acclimatized with his machinery and Unlike the other two, uh, Alonso's actually spent the last two years outside of a Formula 1 car, so even though he's kept race fit and been racing all sorts of cars all over the world, not being a Formula 1 car might have hurt him, even though he did all sorts of testing last year for Renault, but again, it's not a race situation, so yeah, the Alpine has pace, you know, it's got some good areas that it's doing well in, but at the same time, it'll... The I guess the magnifying glass will come over his performances um, in a couple of races time where, you know, you'd think that by now he should be in a position where he is easily beating his teammate. So Ricardo was sixth in his best race so far for McLaren, beating his teammate, as I said, Lando Norris, who ended up in eighth, but still ensuring that McLaren stays five points ahead of Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship and also keeping up the the trend this year of both McLaren scoring points in every race, so that's been really good for them. Um, Ferrari, I think, Sainz didn't score last time out in Portimao, so uh, for McLaren to be the only team in that battle there to score points in every race so far with both cars has been quite good, and they've just been very consistent and reliable, as we saw in the pre-season, but just in some areas, they are lacking a bit of pace, you can see. So, you know, it seems to be the more high-speed um, corners, the high-speed sectors, they do rather well. In the low-speed ones, that's where they kind of fall behind the Ferrari and the Alpine, which we'll come to a bit later when we talk about Monaco specifically. Only casualty of the race was Yuki Tsunoda, unfortunately, again, having a rather sweary weekend. Um, he actually had to apologise to his team um, after, I think it was practice or qualifying, where he was basically going on a rant about how, you know, he doesn't think that the team are giving him full power on the engine, they're giving it to Gasly instead. I mean, you're a rookie, dude. You don't come out and start accusing your team of... Um, not giving you everything straight away and whatnot. So, 
um, a bit embarrassing, I guess, for the team there, and um, Yuki coming out and apologising. It's it's the right thing to do. I wonder how he's going to do in Monaco with all the traffic uh, there. It's going to be a bit of problem, and he might actually just full-on explode in the car if he has to swear that much. But he was the only casualty of the race in Spain. Um, engine problem put him out there early and also triggered an early safety car. Also, we had no points for Aston Martin again. Sebastian Vettel, a lot more comfortable, you could say, in the car. But again, finishing 11th and 13th outside the points. Nikita Mazepin in trouble again, which is no surprise. Um, And he had this thing after qualifying where he got in trouble. He had a three-place grid penalty because he had impeded Lando Norris there in, I think, Q1. And then he had this thing where he's like, you know, the the gentleman's agreement about, you know, not passing or like leaving space on the track during qualifying is broken, something like that. Well, mate, get with the program. Otherwise, stop complaining. Um, So I wonder again how he's going to do in Monaco because it's totally more unforgiving if he runs into trouble there. But, you know, it's going to be that narrative for this year is... One side of the Haas garage is doing everything it can to make sure they finish the race and not um, get into trouble, while the other side of the garage is just causing trouble and not really giving any kind of input or feedback, which is positive. So, yeah, that wraps up Barcelona. It's a bit disappointing, of course, if you're a Red Bull fan or a neutral um, and want to see Verstappen get some points back on Lewis, the gap's out to 14 points now, so really you're going to have to say that the next race is where they're going to have to deliver to get some points back on the Mercedes, but at the same time we've just got to doff our caps to Hamilton and Mercedes for the job that they've been doing, because again, you know, even though he won by 25 seconds there in or in both races he's had big wins, um, he's had to fight on track, wheel to wheel. So let's say all four races they've been wheel to wheel on track, those two, but also just really out strategized the Red Bull team too. And I think that's where Red Bull have come out um, second best is that they've not been able to execute those one percenters, which I think is something I'm going to be saying for the next few years if they can't do it either. And I've been saying it for the last past three years in regards to when Ferrari were trying to challenge them too. So. Yeah, that wraps up that. We had some um, news on the calendar too a couple of weeks ago now um, in regards to some changes again. So, unfortunately, due to the ongoing situation in Turkey with their with COVID and also their travel restrictions um, for overseas travellers, similar to what happened in Canada, similar to what is currently in place here in Australia, the Grand Prix was not um, viable to be staged, so Turkey would have t- taken place on the Queen's birthday weekend, um, which Canada normally would have had the slot for, so in fact that's been also cancelled now, and instead we're going to have an extra um, two-week break between Baku and then the next race in France, um, so the French Grand Prix has been moved forward, and then we will have a back-to-back um, double header in Austria, so a Styrian Grand Prix and an Austrian Grand Prix, 
Um, I think on my calendar, I've marked them the other way around. But yeah, the Styrian Grand Prix will come first and then the Austrian Grand Prix. I, for one, am not a fan of this as much as I love the Austria um, track and the Red Bull ring. I just think, okay, if we've lost a race altogether, um, why are we trying to replace it with a back-to-back? I know that last year, even though getting 17 races in the situation we were in was great, but it wasn't great in terms of the commercial rights holder and also the broadcast deal that they didn't have a full... 21 or 22 race calendar to broadcast so then that that's mixed that's missed revenue and all those lovely financial things which you know people don't understand sometimes makes the world go around and in this instance i think this is why they're doing doing that to make sure we have 23 races to actually go to um, and broadcast so we don't miss out on any more revenue so from a fan perspective yes you know it's great we have more racing we're going to keep more racing on the calendar but then I think about the teams and the um, crews that are involved with traveling all around the world that even though we don't have to travel for an extra week um, with the second race being in Austria we still have to um work for another week so where a break would be nice given that we've still got easily three quarters of a calendar to go more than three quarters of a calendar to go because we're only up to to round five and we've got 23 races so yeah still no um word actually like you know from from a australian perspective i'm keeping an eye on the melbourne grand prix and everything going on here as well the organizers seem adamant that um, the event will go ahead this year they're working on the circuit currently doing the modifications but you just think unless they actually change those travel restrictions but and you know when you listen to the federal government talk about you know overseas travel and everything they're saying yeah it's not going to be likely for aussie citizens until 2022 at the earliest how is it possible that we're going to get, you know, two and a half thousand people involved with Formula One to come to Melbourne um, without doing a 14 day quarantine, which is currently mandatory, um, and then run the race? You know, like if Brazil gets cancelled, there's the opportunity for a back to back or a double header here, which might make it easier, but also, you know, the turnaround from Mexico to Brazil is only seven days or less than seven days. So you would have to effectively rub brazil out um and even if you rub brazil out i mean you're not going to be able to get your 14 days in until um the start of what would be the melbourne grand prix on the 19th of november so yeah still a complicated issue still so fluid with how covid is still having an impact all over the world um thoughts to people in india of course as well who are suffering um, this is where I think, you know, people have got to take a step back from the finances and the commercial side of things and possibly, um, just say, yeah, we need to just ensure that we get 22 races in rather than, or 20 races in rather than, you know, let's do the full 23. I mean, look at IndyCar, for example, they had to cancel their race in Toronto for the same reason as F1 did because of, um, the, international travel ban or like not having to quarantine and all that and IndyCar's just IndyCar just says so what that's okay if we lose that race so they don't have to replace it with a double header somewhere or um, try and 
hastily reschedule another race in its place so shows you the difference between the two um administrators and two different sports at the moment and quickly while we're on indycar let's um give a shout out to renus vk winning the grand prix of indianapolis um or whatever it's called the gmr grand prix there last weekend so the month of may has begun for indycar (laughs) we're on the 20th of may now so yeah we're well into the month of may but um yeah the indie indie month uh, month of indianapolis or whatever renis vk another rookie winner this year winning actually um on the same day that uh max verstappen won his first f1 grand prix in spain um, back in 2016 so vk the young dutchman um, putting his name up there in IndyCar, so that's two rookie winners this year now, um, also including Alex Pelot back in the first race, I'm pretty sure, and it was actually Roman Grosjean who scored pole position, so congratulations to Roman, doing quite well there on the road courses in Indy, and finishing on the podium as well, so collecting his first trophy since, I think it's Spa 2015, where he finished on the podium for Lotus, um, on the day so you know a long time between drinks and I think that image as well that's been on social media of him or with his burnt hand you know still carrying those scars and burns from that Bahrain crash last year and him holding the trophy just kind of warms everyone's heart you know that you know he walked away from that nearly fatal crash and he's able to bounce back in a different um in a different series now in IndyCar and revive his career because it's it's been quite lean for the last few years with um you know with Lotus and then with with Haas as well not getting any trophies or silverware so yeah good on good on Grosjean and sadly we won't see Roman do the Indy 500 um at the end of this month because he's not doing oval races but We'll be cheering on Scott McLaughlin. We'll be cheering on like Scott Dixon, Will Power, Alex Rossi. Um, they are doing their testing now. So, yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see how the Indy 500 goes this year. So, yeah, we'll move it on to supercars as well. So, we had the Ben Super Sprint, of course, as well, a couple of weeks ago now. So, important thing to take away from that was the fact that Ford were able to end their winless streak and they actually dominated the weekend winning three from three we had a pair of um we had the double a's we had Andre Anton uh Andre and Anton win we had Cameron Waters win as well the last race of the the weekend and despite the five second penalty for an unsafe release um Andre Heimgartner won on a Saturday. He won from pole position as well. It was it was pretty horrible conditions there in South Australia, wet and wild, and he was able to take pole and then go for the win too, which was his first win in in supercars and first win for the Kelly Racing as well in a couple of years and first win for them with with Grove on board as well. So Kelly Grove Racing, so they would have been really happy with that. We had Anton win. Ford's 400th race in supercars on um, Sunday in race 10, so first 1-2 for DJR as well uh, this year, and first with this two new, uh, with their new lineup of um, Di Pasquale and, and Will Davison, Anton had both pole positions for Sunday as well, but unfortunately had a mechanical failure in race 11 that took him out of there, but um, we saw Cam Waters get a great start that one, get ahead of Van Gisbergen, 
and come out to win. So a bit of vindication for Waters as well, who just been struggling all year in terms of race pace. He's been really good in qualifying. He's been up there, but just not been able to get it done. And for Ford as well, the Ford teams, they'll be really happy to have walked away from that weekend and give them and have given themselves a bit of confidence that that it can actually uh, challenge this year because if you look back to you know after Sandown and Tassie we were like oh you know this is a Van Gisbergen year for the championship and it might yet still be a Van Gisbergen year but you've got you know five drivers within 264 points of him in the championship lead so there is the opportunity that you know one of the other guys could sneak up if um, Van Gisbergen does taper off later on in the season and now we're going to circuits which might be better suited to the Mustang as well which are a lot more aerodynamically sensitive even though you know Bathurst was the most aerodynamically sensitive track on the calendar you know Van Gisbergen was quite strong there at the start of the year but yeah you know you've got Mostert within 246, you've got Will Davison 251 who still chasing a maiden win there since what 2016, he hasn't won since winning Bathurst 1000 and also Cam Waters down in 5th and 264, so Anton unfortunately after that um, mechanical failure, you know he's quite far behind now, 464 points, so he himself conceded that it's pretty difficult that he would be able to win the title this year, but, you know, I mean, I didn't put any tip on Anton to come and win his first year with, with DJR, it's going to be easily within the next couple of years if they keep up their pace, I reckon, you know, next year might be a year to put um, put a tip on him, um, but, you know, things change next year dramatically if, you know, they end up doing with, with Gen 3 and everything, so, you know, we had the crisis meeting held and still no word or guarantee of an early 2022 rollout for Gen 3, you know, for all we know it could come in the middle of the season, which just doesn't seem right to me to roll out a whole new car and um, regulations package in the middle of a year, you know, that could dramatically change the face of the championship if it was done, so, you know, we had a, um, prototype, a prototype chassis image released actually by supercars yesterday and you know but what does that mean you know they've, they've got a prototype ready great you know when can we have specifics on the car when can we have specifics on all the componentry which you know they're talking about doing control control componentry um to cut costs and everything but at the same time you know costs might go through the roof with having things like electronic rear view mirrors and paddle shifts and all that and you know two developing two different engines you know or homologating two different engines you know to take an uh, engine out of a Ford Mustang like out of the showroom a Ford Mustang and also Chevy Camaro trying to get them equal as well in terms of parity as well it's just yeah you know we're what we're halfway through this year so effectively you've got another five to six months to get it all sorted before next year. I mean, you've got teams like uh, Matt Stone Racing who are evaluating whether they want to s- switch to a um, a Ford Gen 3 package or stay with the Chevrolet. Um, you know, the, the wrecks that are going to be taken up for next year too, you know, whether it's a prospective, like a new entry or whatever, or a new team coming in, they want to know what they're dealing with for next year too. So 
it all reeks of uh, just it just reeks of just a bad smell at the moment can't really say anything else that <laughs> um they the teams don't know no one in the public knows either what's going on and for the fact or and for the ceo to come out and say oh you know i can be i'm the only spokesperson for gen 3 no one else is allowed to say anything well you know the question's going to be asked now until we find out more information so yeah um can't say any much more than that but going back to the bend <laughs> it was funny on um on sunday with race 10 again we had uh cam waters and Chaz mostard coming together though unfortunately it was actually um they were actually collateral damage um given that um the incident was triggered at turn six by heimgartner um bumping into tim slade and effectively concertinaing um into waters and mostard and then they took out a another bunch of drivers as well so that was a bit sad for those guys but it's looking good and hopefully when they roll around to winter next week as well we can see these guys come back and um yeah really create an exciting championship um at the front quick shout out as well before we go into our monaco preview to moto gp and the thriller miller goes back to back for back to back wins and this time in the wet at le mans there so it was such a crazy race and also he had two long lap penalties as well for speeding in the pit lane um and still managed to win the race ahead of johan zarco and fabio quattararo who was the pole sitter, um, Fabio having to take his own long lap penalty, I forgot what the reason was, but you had two Frenchmen on the podium there, and great for Miller's championship too, the, after having a DNF in Portugal to win two back-to-back -back races, get a boost of 50 points to put him up there, while his teammate, I think Pico Bagnaia, is leading, I'm not sure, but Johan Zarco up there as well for the Pramac Ducati team is really, really good, so really liking Ducati's chances this year in MotoGP, I think having two young, fresh riders in their factory team is just doing them a world of wonders, and hopefully they keep that positive attitude um, as they move forward, but, you know, if the goods can't be delivered, then I can see it all spiraling downhill like it did, you know, with Davizioso and Petrucci um, over the last few years, you know, but Davizioso unfortunately becoming a bit bitter and whatnot, you know, the fact that he couldn't get the job done and Ducati as well getting a bit upset with that, so <coughs> hopefully it will be a much more rosier situation if the wins keep coming and a championship as a matter of fact, will will come. So yeah, Monaco Grand Prix now. So returning to Monaco for the first time since 2019. Obviously last year we weren't able to have the race due to obvious reasons, but it was good. I'm sure a lot of you would have watched the Formula E there this year, not too long ago, on the f racing for the first time on the full Grand Prix circuit, and gotta say, what an epic race it was, given the fact that, you know, we actually got some overtaking, you know, some of those moves were so daring towards the end of the race, and, you know, congratulations to um, Antonio Felix da Costa winning his first race of the year as the reigning champ, so... Um, if that's something that, you know, is a bit of a appetizer for the Grand Prix, then 
let's let's have it but again i reckon you know we're not going to see much overtaking in these cars um at this particular track so as we know pole position is key to this race the last two races have been won by the pole sitters so 19 we had lewis hamilton of course paying tribute to nicky lauda and daniel ricardo the year before as well winning that epic race um which was his last race win in f1 and We've already had Christian Horner come out and say that we need to we need to make sure we beat Mercedes in Monaco, and he is absolutely right. If they don't win, then, you know, what can you say about their title hopes? Um, a lot of people have taken into account Barcelona's sector three times as being, you know, the oracle and the all-seeing um, eye as far as who's going to have form in Monaco. Um, and taking those sector times, Red Bull were quicker than Mercedes, so does that guarantee Mercedes, or sorry, Red Bull pole position for Monaco? Well, we'll just have to wait and see till Saturday, um, but also when you look down down the order and through the, um, through the field, Ferrari and Alpine looked quite strong in sector three as well in comparison to Ms. McLaren, so as I said before, that low-speed corners might be an Achilles heel for McLaren this year, so could we see... Um, those two teams get ahead of McLaren this time. McLaren will hope not, given that they are they're going to have some special attention on them this weekend with a one-off special livery celebrating their partnership with Golf, um, the oil company Golf. So they've got such a pretty-looking matte livery there with Golf Racing, um, similar to their McLaren F1 GTR that raced at Le Mans, I think, many many years ago, and also great news about Lando Norris that he has been um, rewarded for his impressive results so far in the last three years that he's been with a team with a multi-year contract extension so congratulations to Lando I know personally I'm very excited about that because he is probably one of my favorite drivers at the moment on the grid which is kind of weird because I grew up watching Formula One and you had all these people older than you now I'm you know fanboying over someone who's younger than me so that that really shows you where I'm at headspace wise um but yeah and also ultimately one of few teams that have got their long-term driver lineup um already known to the world so I think um barring McLaren having Ricardo and Norris locked in till 2023 at the earliest I think um Ferrari are the same with with Sainz and Leclerc um, at least Leclerc we know is locked in long term so I don't know anyone else who on the grid who has a um, combination locked in for that long so it just really shows you the confidence within McLaren as well at the moment in their current driver lineup so good on them is it going to be a tough weekend this weekend I hope not because you know they're only five points ahead of uh, Ferrari and you know if they are unable to score with one car or you know have a have a rough weekend and Ferrari ends up outscoring them then they're going to lose that position in the championship which you know I didn't foresee that Ferrari would be a challenge to them in the first place at the start of the year so ultimately the opportunity is there for capitalizing on a strong qualifying and we know McLaren and qualifying has not been um, the best of bedfellows this year but at the same time, they can also capitalize on the mistakes of others So, and see that they get into the top 10. And basically, yeah, it's all about getting into the top 10 and just um, holding your ground there. So there's a strong safety car chance as well. Um, and just 
you know, when you've got guys like Sonoda and Mazepin around, you know, all sorts of chaos can happen, and we hope everyone um, keeps their heads uh, heads together for this one as well. And also, it's going to be a special weekend for the Williams team too. It's their 750th Grand Prix, joining only McLaren and Ferrari to celebrate that feat. So, you know, I couldn't believe, I can't believe that we're saying that, you know, can Williams score points in their 750th Grand Prix, you know, it'd be more appropriate to say, oh, can Williams win their 70th, you know, 750th, but that's not going to happen, so yeah, you know, the best reward that they can take away from this weekend is if they end up scoring some points, which is totally possible if there's a bit of chaos ahead and whatnot or Russell puts in one of those epic qualifying performances gets himself into Q2 and at the pointy end of Q2 as well um, he can easily pick off somebody um, ahead of him when it comes down to the pit stops or if they end up having some kind of failure or retirement so yeah it's exciting and as I said before you know I was going to explain to you my reasons for not liking Monaco and Monaco as a track, I just am not a fan of, given that it's a lot different, you know, the overtaking is difficult, when you play the track on a game, like on the F1 games, I absolutely hate it, you know, it's just too complicated for me, I don't like those kind of circuits, I prefer the fast flowing tracks, but as a viewer, I do quite like the fact that, you know, it does place the driver at the center of attention, you know, this is where I keep going on about having super pole or top 10 shootouts in Formula 1 as well, this would be the perfect track to do that, because I, when I think of that, I think of Senna in 88, his pole lap, you know, the onboard, basically man and machine, you know, taking to the streets and making sure, you know, he uses every little millimetre he can of the road to, to stick his car on pole, and I think it's totally epic when you do watch that, so, you know, that's the part of Monaco I'd like, the part of Monaco I don't like is having to, to race there, and also to just, you know, if you're looking for an exciting race as well, that's not the place to do it, and I'm sure after Monaco is done, we're going to get the usual criticism about how Monaco should not be on the F1 calendar, it's not an exciting race, bada bada bar. but at the same time, I also appreciate history and tradition, um, you know, if you want to look through your rose-tinted glasses, which, you know, I'm, I am a little bit at the moment, it is one of those traditional races which you've got to keep on the calendar, and, um, you know, last year, you could tell that we missed it because it wasn't there, but um, even without fans this year, I think it'll be really great. You know, you see the luxury, you see the glitz and the glamour. As much as I don't like that stuff also, um, you know, it, it does kind of remind you of those old days and the golden era of Formula 1, you know, with the likes of Graham Hill, who was Mr. Monaco, um, with Senna, Prost, uh, Lauda, all those guys, when Mansell was racing there too, so... You know, you've got these modern-day heroes, I think, who are taking to the streets and um, hopefully, yeah, for Red Bull and the neutrals' sake that they can get the job done this weekend. Otherwise, you know, Lewis going for a, a fourth win this season is um, definitely on the cards. Or could we have someone all, someone else altogether come out and um, do a good job? You know, that would be quite interesting too. Like, I would love to say, yeah, we're going to see Ricardo or, or Norris pop it on pole position and we could have a McLaren one too, but that's not going to happen. And as we know, um, 
those special one-off liveries that we've seen over the last few years, they're, they're quite cursed as well, so, you know, we might already have uh, shot ourselves in the foot this weekend if you're a McLaren fan because of the, the golf livery, but other than that, I think that's about it, so thank you for bearing with me on this one, um, I'm on Twitter, as you know, hit the Apex Media, there's a link tree um, link as well in the description, so you can follow me on other platforms as well, follow my live blogs for Formula One on the Raw, um, Instagram, if I if I post anything new and all that sort of stuff, but other than that, hope everyone's okay, and um, looking forward to another race weekend, and um, yeah, we'll be back next week, barring any other illness or anything, <laughs> um, to wrap up Monaco, so thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.